I'm Margaret Mueller, President and CEO of the Executives Club of Chicago, Chicago region's top business forum. Join me on the Executives Exchange as I go deep with some of the most successful executives from the Chicago region and unlock the keys to their success. Trust me, you're going to want to hear this. Today on the Executives Exchange, we're joined by David Gupta, CEO and founder of SDI Presence. David sits down to discuss pivotal moments in his career, from leaving the family company and moving to the West Coast, to his short stint in retirement and coming home to Chicago. David discusses his company's focus on presence and his commitment to developing and hiring diverse talent. Tune in to learn how he continues expanding on his father's legacy of giving back to the community and creating opportunities for future generations. Hi, good morning, David. Thanks for being here with us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So we have a lot to talk about. You are one of our great tech entrepreneurs and civic leaders in the city. I'm so glad you're taking the time to talk with us. We're going to learn about your entrepreneurial journey and your passion for diversity and technology and your love for the city and all sorts of things. But let's start in the beginning. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up, what it was like growing up. I grew up uh, in the south suburbs of Chicago in Flossmoor. I grew up with a a sister and two brothers. And uh, my parents had immigrated from India in the mid-50s and uh, had landed initially in Park Forest and then in Flossmoor. Was there an Indian community in Flossmoor? There was not. (laughs) As a matter of fact, the Indian community was very small in the Chicagoland area when my parents came here, maybe a hundred families. Yeah. And so the Indian community at that time was, was quite small. Yeah. What brought you to Chicago? So my father was um, recruited by Skidmore, Owings and Merrill to design high-rise buildings and primarily HVAC systems for high-rise buildings. Growing up in India without air conditioning, he really found a passion for air conditioning when he studied at the University of Illinois. And after he went back to India and worked there, he got recruited by SOM to come back to Chicago. Oh, that's really great. I went to University of Illinois too. It's a great school. Not in engineering, but... um psychology. (laughs) So your father was also a successful entrepreneur. Watching him leave and go take a risk and start his own business that ended up being successful, what did you learn from watching him when you were growing up? You know, I learned a couple of things. He really had a passion for that area of of the business in in engineering and construction. And um, he was very good at it. And he, at the dinner table, we would hear about the stories about the company, how he was growing the company, successful uh, pursuits and wins in uh, winning awards for for new buildings that were going up in Chicago. And I also saw him uh, give back to the community because early on, after after he started that company in 1967, he started an internship program with Bowen High School. And they took two students per year from Bowen High School out of their architecture program and drafting program and brought them into the company. And and I saw that um, that giving back to the community was something that I identified with. And that's a legacy you're continuing. And he was doing that early. I mean, that was before a lot of people were doing things like that. That's really neat. So you worked there for a little bit and then you went off and started your own business, several businesses that we'll get into. I'm curious, was that always part of the plan? Or is that something that you you grew into the idea of? Did you think you were originally going to just work at your father's company the whole time? Or did you just want to get some experience and you always knew you wanted to start your own? That's an interesting question. I think that a lot of people that go through school, whether it's accounting or engineering or other types of professions, think that that's what they're going to do their whole life. Right. And that's what I thought I was going to do my, my whole life. I thought for sure I was going to be designing lighting and power distribution systems for high-rise buildings my entire life. And once I got in there and did that for 10 years, I did find that there was a void from an IT perspective in that industry, people that could map that infrastructure, people that can automate the maintenance of those records and, uh, and make it more useful for the ownership, yeah. not to mention our other clients in utilities and in government. And you had a brother that was working at the company too, and he's running it now, right? Yeah, I have two brothers that were working in the company. Both of them were mechanical engineers. And my brother Raj, who is a member, my brother Raj is now um, executive chairman of that firm. Yeah. So 
Um, do you think that left you off, let you off the hook a little bit to go and do your own thing? Cause you had some brothers that were doing it. If, if you didn't, would you have felt more of an obligation to, you know, take over your father's company that he built? Yeah, I suppose we, we had a number of planning meetings as a family where we sat down every two weeks for breakfast and talked about the status of the firm. And in that way, I, I got pretty unique insights into the firm, not only the engineering side, but the business side. Yeah. Um, but I, I suppose you can make an argument that if my brothers weren't there to take over the firm, that I would have probably felt more pressure to stay there. I know. I've heard that from a number of people whose parents have started companies and um, you know there can just be some pressure sometimes. So you went off, you've started some several companies. Let's start with um, the first one, SDI. What was it like? Lessons that you learned that you can share with the entrepreneurs that are listening, things that you would do differently, do over, do exactly the same. So right about the time that we decided that maybe we should split this IT unit into a separate company, I decided to pursue my executive MBA at the University of Chicago. So not only was I starting a new business, starting an executive MBA, I had small children and... Um, <laughs> And I left my very secure family business job. Right, right. <laughs> and so um, what was I thinking? <laughs> so uh, it, it, it's probably the most rewarding, uh, frustrating, um, challenging thing that you can do yeah. um, if you have a passion for it. So I, I felt that this would work and I felt that there was a need for our type of business in this space. And so it was a big leap. It was definitely a big leap. Yeah. Something you can do in your early 30s, but maybe you can still do it in your in your 50s as well. Well, there's some data now that uh, entrepreneurs who start companies in their 50s actually have a higher success rate than, because, you know, it's a 90-something percent failure rate for most entrepreneurs, right? Those that actually turn them into very successful businesses. Uh and I just saw those data a few months ago, and I thought that was really interesting. And I wonder if it's because you're bringing a level of experience to it or going in eyes wide open, or maybe you've you've done it before. Um, but yes, I certainly can imagine not having the level of energy and passion and willingness to take risk when you're you know older. Yeah, I've heard the term before. It's that age in your 40s and 50s is where energy meets experience. You mm -hmm. still have the energy, but you also have a lot of experience. Yeah. And um, that type of insight definitely, I can, I would suggest, provides an advantage for starting a new company. Yeah. Interesting. So, you did also bring in private equity. And I know that some founders get really nervous about that. There's a long debate that they have whether or not that's the right idea. They worry that the very nature of the company will change, that their role in it will fundamentally change. What was your experience like? So, we um, brought in private equity now for a third time. And on our third time, we really truly understood what we wanted in a partner. You know, we wanted a partner that understood our culture and how much we value our culture of presence, presence for our clients, our colleagues, and our community, and how seriously we take that as part of our constitution. If a, a partner tries to alter that, it's, it's altering your constitution. It can be very disruptive. Yeah. And so, um, that's one of the key things for us was bringing in somebody that um, identified with it and truly understood it. And then also understood that we have a mature senior management team and that this was going to be our team going forward. Now, we brought them in because we thought that they could bring insights into management incentive plans, building a board, building a, uh, an advisory council. Those are the types of things besides capital. Um, that a private equity firm can do. They can bring in that consulting piece that uh, a founder, owner, entrepreneur may be missing at that time. Yeah. Um, it sounds like you had a great experience and some good partners, which is really wonderful. Um, is there anything else that bringing in a private equity firm allowed you to do with the company that you could not have done without them? Yeah, the benefit of having an institutional capital partner is that financial, other financial institutions, including your bank, will um, allow you to have more financial flexibility. They'll provide mm -hmm. more extensive lending. They'll 
allow you to uh, monetize some of the work that and value that you've created, the work that you've done and value that you've created, as well as share some of that value creation with your colleagues, with your senior staff, as well as um, as your new colleagues. Yeah. So that was something that was helpful for me in order to uh, gain some liquidity, not only for myself, but also for my colleagues. Yeah. So let's share with our audience more about what, what SDI Presence does, and it may have evolved over time too. So what did what was it doing when you started the company, and what are you doing now? Yeah, it was fairly one-dimensional when we started it. We, we were mapping facility infrastructure for property owners, and we still do that today. Uh, we then extended that to utility companies and local governments because they all own and manage large amounts of spatially oriented engineered infrastructure. That's something that I very much understood right. and still understand today as part of our, again, also part of our DNA. Um, but now we have evolved into a full service IT services company where we provide consulting, technology delivery, and then managed services. And managed services means that we will manage an IT environment for our customer for a long period of time. And most recently, what we're doing now is creating a cloud platform so that a number of our customers can move from their on-premise data centers into their into the SDI cloud. So how has your typical customer profile changed? What was a typical customer profile? What did they look like and then, and what do they look like now? Are they the same customers and you're just doing more for them or has the customer changed? Uh, the customer base has expanded into, again, we started with real estate companies and then it went into utilities and government. And those contracts initially may have been sub $100,000 contracts. And now some of them, one of them specifically is over a hundred million dollars in value. So our, our total like contract value has increased for a number of, uh, of assignments that we have. Plus we've expanded geographically. So we not only have our headquarters here in the great city of Chicago, but we also have locations in Sacramento, Los Angeles, and in Dallas. Mm -hmm. And when you were at ESD, you worked mostly with private companies, right? Correct. It was so what, really, when I was at ESD, we worked primarily with um, private companies, architects, commercial real estate developers, and operators. So what was that transition like going from that to largely public companies, you know, transportation, airports, and then utilities? Was it uh, dramatically different? Did your philosophies and practices have to change or was it basically the same? I would say it's pretty much the same. The procurement processes are much different in mm -hmm. government. Um, but what it also highlighted for me is of course how citizen facing it is mm -hmm. and that the work that we do needs to involve the community because it's affects the community. So whether we're doing work at the airports or whether we're with the transportation system, um, the education system or, or the corporate government itself, all of those affect the citizen experience. And um, we try to involve the community in a lot of the work that we do. So you have great success. And then in 2016, started another company, PGV Solutions, and I think you did you did make a move at that time. You left the great city of Chicago for um, a short period of time and then merged them back in. Can you share with people what the strategy was there? What was motivating that? So what's missing from this story is that after I had brought on private equity partners in 2008 and 2012, I elected to retire from the business in early 2014 and move for weather to Los Angeles. And um, quickly, my wife and I realized that we had moved basically to the suburbs and that <laughs> it was pretty quiet in Los Angeles, believe it or not. And um, we had young kids at the time. And so we you know, were putting them through school. And, and we realized, we came to understand that, that the company uh, was available for purchase for us as we got to late 2015. By that time, I had found that retirement was not for me. I tried <laughs> to start a new company called uh, PGV, which is Presence Group Ventures. 
to start a new consulting company. Um, I was about to partner with um, some friends in Sacramento and uh, I decided to come back to Chicago, was able to reacquire the business and I moved back to Los Angeles and I thought I would stay there, but it really became evident to me um, to operate the business as well as uh, be with family that it made sense to be back in Chicago. So um, I moved back to the great city of Chicago, merged PGV in with um, SDI and made it one company again. I also merged in the company of our CFO um, who had left and started her own business and uh, away we went. I am like a broken record. Every February, I start talking about the weather and maybe we should move. And my husband's like, all right, here we go. <laughs> You're right on schedule. And we have this constant debate about how much is better weather worth it. Like, what are you trading in? And we too have all of our family here and friends here. And, you know, there's like this six to eight week period in Chicago that it feels like, what am I doing here? And then when it breaks and the sun comes out and you realize it's such an incredible place to live. But I, I mean, it's becoming a little tedious for him. He's like, are we really having this conversation again? Like, and he just humors me every year and lets me go through it. And then, you know, realizes we're going to come to the same conclusion that we love it here. Well, one of the best parts of Chicago is that we have an amazing airport system. Yeah. And we can get pretty much anywhere in the world and just about any major city in the world direct. But that's one aspect that I think makes the city really phenomenal compared to other cities across the United States. We have, and especially my experience living in Los Angeles, it's Chicago, in my view, is a much more efficient place to um, start and operate a business. It's very compact downtown. You can have so many meetings in a day and see all of your partners, all of your consultants, your law firm, your accounting firm, your strategic yeah. advisors in, in really a small setting. Plus we have a phenomenal education system, especially our higher ed uh, systems, including city colleges. And it's just the collaboration here through the organizations like this, like Executives Club is, is really outstanding compared to other parts of the country. So for starting a business and operating a business, I'll always say it, this is the best place in the world to start a business. Yeah, we have a few months of bad weather and a few issues that we're working through in the city as a whole, all of us, but this is the great city of Chicago and, and uh, this is our home and this is, I think, the best place to have a business. I agree. We've had um, previous executive club members who have been you know, transferred to other cities or moved to other cities for jobs. and early, I've been here for three years and early on, I got a call from someone who had moved to LA and asked, would we please open an executives club in Los Angeles? Cause there's nothing like it. He had no way to really connect with the business community. And then I got multiple calls over the last three years, Atlanta, Houston. Um, and I didn't quite appreciate how unique both this organization and then just the Chicago business community generally really is, you know, until you don't have it, and realize that it's missing. Um, and we also, Jenny Scanlon was talking a lot about it too when she was considering a role somewhere. And uh, someone said to her, don't forget how special Chicago is. Like you, I know it sounds appealing to move to the city, but it's not the same. You know, the business community and the engagement, I mean, it is just so different. Well, and if you're a fan of architecture, yeah, my education and training, um, I think this is one of the great architectural cities in the world. If you like fine dining or diversity in dining experiences, this is one yeah. of the best places in the world. If you like cultural institutions from the Art Institute to all the other museums and the museum campus, and I give a special shout out to the Chicago History Museum where I'm a trustee. Yes. It's, it's, um, it's just phenomenally diverse in people and cultures and experience here. Yeah, I know. It's really great. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor, Sure. Audio equipment for the Executives Exchange podcast is provided by Sure Incorporated. When your team is depending on you for information and motivation, you can't afford to sound anything less than clear and confident. For nearly 100 years, performers and world leaders have depended on Sure microphones. Whether you're in front of a camera or behind a podium, Sure lets you sound extraordinary. Welcome back. Okay, so 2016, you merged the companies. You also added the name, the word presence. 
to your company name, which was very important for a variety of reasons and strategic. And I'd love to hear more about this word presence, that it's now SDI presence and why that's so important. I added presence to the name in 2016, primarily to communicate our commitment to being present for our clients, our colleagues, and our community. It is definitely a part of our, it is our culture, and it's something that all of our colleagues, especially our long-term colleagues, closely identify with. And putting it in our name really made a statement that we were serious about it and that this was going to be something that we lived every day. And we do. We are ever present for our clients who, are, who need us, uh, you know, 24 by 7, 365, to our colleagues who we care about, like their family for us, as well as our community. And we think that we, even as a mid-sized company, can make huge impact on certain parts of our community, whether it's in mentorship for youth and adults in our community, mentorship of smaller firms, uh, charitable giving, volunteerism, all of those things, we feel like we can have a meaningful impact in our community. And, and we do. And words matter. So putting it on there is this reminder. And then you even mentioned earlier. So then when you were looking to do a third round of PE, that you had that in the name and that became part of the conversation. Like, look, this is really important to us and our culture is really important to us. So we're looking for a partner that's going to, you know, want to be part of that and not taking a different approach to the business. Absolutely. Our current partner, Abri Partners, truly identifies with it, understands it, and helps us promote our culture. And that's something that, for our case, in bringing in a private equity partner, we needed to make sure that our, our partner understood how important it was to us. Yeah. So a lot happened. There was a lot of growth then. You, you had a few companies that you brought in. You expanded to the West Coast. How did you balance leading SDI presence in the Midwest with these new company and clients on the West Coast? Any challenges or things that you had to start doing differently as an organization versus when you were a little more compact and really focused on the Midwest market? That's a good question. The When you do an acquisition, the integration is, is very important and there's a number of operational aspects to that. But I would say, again, the most important aspect to it was culture and making sure that our cultures were in alignment. We mm -hmm. purchased a company in Sacramento, California and a small organization, about 25 people, but we wanted to make sure that they understood our culture and, and they've truly embraced our culture and feel like it's theirs now because of our commitment to it on a daily basis to be committed to them to advance their education, their certification, their wellness, mental wellness, physical wellness, and financial wellness. All of those things are things that we do for our colleagues because not only the right thing to do, it's, the, it's a good business imperative to take care of your people. And so our turnover rate is very low, including with the um, businesses that we've acquired. Mm -hmm. I mean, it can be really challenging to maintain that culture while you're growing, you know, in acquiring, can you point to something specific, like something that you did that people can learn from and, and maybe apply to their own companies? Um, so for example, another company that is really big on culture is Jelly Vision. We had Amanda Lanner and they do this really neat thing with their employees on day one. Um, they get a standing ovation at the end of the day and they get clapped out of the office with the recognition that that was probably one of the hardest days of their life. You know, that they went from the height of their power at their last company, and then now they get into this new organization and they don't know anyone. And, you know, what are they doing? And it's just like a little thing that they do that's become, you know, a big part of the culture. So I don't know if there's anything at SDI Presence that's just a hallmark of how you continue to maintain the culture, even through all of the changes and growth and acquisitions and COVID and, you know, everything. So... As a growing business, we welcome new colleagues on a daily basis. And yeah. so we have a formal approach to onboarding them into the family, into our company, and having welcome receptions for them. Oh, with, that's great. With COVID, it's been over Zoom, but yeah. uh, generally we like to do that live, have luncheons. And we've got quite a few characters in our, in our headquarters. And so um, those personalities come out and it makes people feel very welcomed. 
Yeah. The other thing that we do is on a quarterly basis, have town halls and live streams so that we can update everybody in the company on all the other great things and all the other great work that their colleagues are doing. And it's inspiring yeah. because um, a lot of the work that we do is, is very impactful for our customers. Remember, we work for um, all of local government, including law enforcement, human services, um, and so forth. And a lot of those aspects can have um, impact on, on citizens. How many employees are you up to now? So we have 265 employees in our company. Plus we have another 100 affiliated employees through our supplier diversity program. Oh yeah. And I do want to get to that. We'll get to that um, really soon. Um, so not surprising, given everything that you've just talked about, that you are consistently named one of the best places to work. Um, and then these things tend to go hand in hand too. You also recorded a 98% customer satisfaction score across your portfolio of clients. And again, not necessarily surprising. You take care of your people. They're going to take care of your clients. We know this, but that's really tremendous. So what are you attributing this to, this client satisfaction, these extraordinary scores that you get? So we have, again, I'll go back to culture. Our people believe not only in the culture, but they also believe in the purposeful work that we do for these clients. They find the work to be very purposeful. And when they're successful and they see our clients be successful, it's gratifying for them and for all of us to see us make a huge difference with our customers. And that has a certain level of power for retention and retaining great yeah. people. Well, and you also work on things that affect their everyday life, right? Like these are the things that they, like they ride the CTA and people go to the airports and like all of these things. So you can start to see how your work is like directly impacting the daily lives of you and everyone around you. The, the other part is that they have the opportunity to meaningfully participate. Now, participation is one of the biggest motivators out there. If, if you can allow people to participate in the development of the firm, in the, in the engineering of a new solution, of the development of a new product, that's very, very motivating for people and, and makes people want to stay because they want to be part of it. Mm -hmm. So we try to provide people with opportunities to learn new things, get new certifications, develop new products, try new things. And I think that that's for engineering and technical talent, and even people in our back office, that's something that inspires them and makes them want to stay. So you've done a great job with retention. We also know that acquisition, especially of tech talent right now, is very challenging, especially diverse tech talent. I just saw um, the report put out by P33, just the number of computer science degrees among um, black and Latino students is, you know, way below where we need it to be. So how are you attracting new talent to SDI presence and particularly diverse new talent? We have a full talent acquisition team. As a matter of fact, one of those people on that team was one of my high school interns in the mid nineties. And uh, he returned to our company to join our talent acquisition group. Yes, he happens to be a Latino male and um, understands like the rest of the team members that we want to open our eyes to all of the talent that exists within all of the different regions in which we operate. And that may not be recruiting out of the traditional four-year institutions. Mm -hmm. That may actually also include recruiting out of the city college system. We've partnered with the city colleges of Chicago primarily Kennedy King College, to help them launch a new program called the Tech Launchpad, which will provide tech services training to primarily black and brown students within the Inglewood community. But they have access, all, all citizens uh, throughout Chicago will have access to that. Yeah. And the, the, uh, the, um, the metric that we're trying to hit is to educate 700 students in three years and graduate them through, from those programs so that there will be now an, a new uh, center at yeah. Kennedy King that will generate tech workers 
um, that are primarily diverse. This, this again, this goes back to the culture of our organization and what we deeply believe in and giving back and giving people a chance because a lot of students don't have a chance, a first chance mm-hmm. to get a, get work in a, in a professional services organization like ours. Yeah. So if someone wants to have a strong, successful career at SDA presence, do they ultimately need a four-year degree or can they do that with a strong associate's degree? They can do that with a strong associate's degree. People do not need a traditional four-year education or degree to be successful yep. at SDI. We have had up to 30 interns working with us at one time uh, from the city colleges. And they've been very, very successful, certainly in the endeavors that they've had, and, and they could be in different parts of our business. But um, lifelong learning, I would say, is critical for being successful in any business. I know, and our city colleges program is really phenomenal. I, I keep talking about this because people are not aware. Like, and whenever I talk about it, they're like, I had no idea that if you maintain, I think it is a, a B plus average in CPS schools, you can go to city colleges for free. And so then you can get this great associate's degree and then launch a career at a company like SDI Presence and have this amazing career and it didn't cost you anything. You don't have to go mortgage your life, you know, to go get a degree from somewhere and you graduate $200,000 in debt that you'll never dig yourself out of. And, um, I think this whole thing really needs to get disrupted. It's tough for me because I, I am a bit of an educational snob. You know, I have a PhD and I love higher education and I'm the president of the university of Chicago alumni board. And I really believe in these things, but I am also having a bit of a conflict of conscience on this. Like, I just don't know that we need the vast majority of students spending all this money on these four-year degrees and what is it getting them? And I love a liberal arts education and I'm just, I'm personally really conflicted about all of this right now. So I gained some insights in working with city colleges and primarily Kennedy King on the tech launch pad. Great. There's, if you can get tuition for free and all of that, why aren't there more people? And one of the reasons is they can't afford to not have a job. So they can't, they can afford school because maybe the tuition is free or, or reduced yeah. cost, but they have a life and they need to generate income to yep. support that life, to support rent, food, healthcare, childcare. And to be honest with you, we provided financial support to the city college foundation for the tech launch pad. And 60% of it went to students stipends and scholarships so that they could afford to stay in school. And, and that's one of the barriers to people being successful in, in education is that they need a job to take care of the rest yeah. of their life, take care of their family and take care of their needs. And I think that where we can all learn is, is really understanding that students need that type of support financially, but they also need mentoring. And if we can add those two things, I would say to the equation, then we'll see a lot more graduates and people of color in our industry. Yeah, I know. Um, It's the same thing with the internships, right? Like, so what is the profile of a student who can afford to do an unpaid internship, you know, at a really cool company and get all this great experience unpaid? You know, so it's, uh, we're already self-selecting right there. And I mean, it's tough for us. We're a nonprofit. We can't. And we're really conflicted about this because we would like to bring in more diverse interns and we're just a different business model. You know, we are a nonprofit. And so our internships are unpaid, but we are too trying to figure out ways that we can um, bring people in knowing that they can't necessarily afford to not work for the summer and get paid for it. They have to pay their bills and they're supplementing their education versus someone whose parents say, oh, no problem. You don't have to worry about anything. We've got you covered. There are a variety of programs in the city of Chicago for people to get grants, for employers to get grants, to hire interns. And um, I believe the Chicago Chamber of Commerce has a program like that. Um, ah. Cook County, uh, Chicago Cook Workforce Development has programs like that. So um, I would say if you want to be serious about this, look into and do research into those organizations that can provide compensation for you to provide the mentorships and the internships. 
I had no idea. And I'm supposed to be in the know. I mean, I actually know all these people, um, Karen and Jack, and like, I just was not aware of these things. I, this is a big part of what we're doing at the Executives Club now. It's part of our mission to start getting the word out about these things because the vast majority of the business community is just not aware. Not that they don't care, but they're not on the inside, right? Like they're not involved with, you know, P33 and um, world business and like all of the things and we rise together. Like they're not necessarily aware of this. And so we have millions of people in Chicago that don't know about these things. So hopefully many of them are listening and learning a lot and you're giving me an idea. Maybe we need to do another a program on something about this because that's really important. That can be life-changing for people. So you also have a huge commitment to diversity in terms of suppliers too, which is a really uh, big issue, allowing or enabling and giving opportunities for diverse companies to build scale you know, and build their capabilities. And so how are you doing that? As a diverse firm ourselves and diverse owned firm ourselves, um, we look at supplier diversity as just one aspect of what we can do to help bring wealth into communities. Mm -hmm. So we have a diverse ownership pool here at SDI. We have diverse management team. We have a diverse employee base. And to us, that means that we are, and when we look at where our colleagues live, we can see that they are bringing wealth back into their communities when they go home. What else can we do? We can, as we talked about, mentor youth that are in the community. We can uh, mentor adults that are maybe in the second part of their career that also live within the community. We can move part of our operations into the community like we have on the south side mm -hmm. on 35th Street. We can support education of people in our community like we have at Kennedy King, which will you know, provide 700 students in the next year, three years, the opportunity to build wealth for themselves in the tech industry, not just with our company, but with any company in Chicago, because every company in Chicago needs tech workers these days. But then there's also the diverse suppliers that we have. And so 60% of our outside spend went to other diverse firms last year. And that's something that allows them to build more capacity allows them to hire more diverse people and refine themselves as a business. So to us, those are, that is how a responsible diverse firm can advance wealth creation and diversity within the community. And a number of companies are starting to do it. You know, we're seeing them. I love what Discover is doing. We had Roger, you know, he's on our board, what you're doing. I think it seems overwhelming for some companies, like they don't know where to begin or they feel like they're at a type of organization where they can't necessarily move operations somewhere, you know, just the nature of their operations and what they do. But they're so, it's so maybe not everyone can make neighborhood investments, but they can certainly, you know, do more with suppliers and talent and all of that. And so if someone is sitting there saying, I just don't know even where to begin, this is all too much. I can't do all of this. What do you say to them? Where do you recommend they start? Where can they have the biggest impact if they can just start doing one thing differently in 2022? Wow. Well, I hope if they want to do something, um, they could, first of all, start with the Apprentice Network that was created by Aon, Accenture, and Zurich. Give them a lot of credit for program programming this and formalizing yeah. it. And that's something that any firm, small firm, large firm, can join, and um, they'll they'll have a framework there. The other thing is. They can ask their colleagues, how do, how do their colleagues feel they can be more mm -hmm. impactful uh, yeah. in their community work? And lo and behold, they, their colleagues, their employees will have a lot of great ideas there. Yeah, that's good advice. There's something else that you created early on because you were really at the forefront of all of this, I have to say. It's incredibly impressive. Like all of these conversations that we're having now about these things you were thinking about and doing a long time ago. And one of the things you created was this first chance initiative. If you can tell us more about it, what you were doing, what inspired it and where it went. As we started to develop our business by mapping infrastructure, we got tasked by the city of Chicago to build a digital land map, digital, digital land base for the city to be incorporated in the new 911 center in the mid nineties. 
So this is before Google Maps. This is before any commercial map product was available. The city has a fairly unique mapping system, primarily because alleys. And so any commercial map did not include the city's alleys, but the OEMC needs that for um, dispatch of its vehicles and personnel. And map creation at that time was largely outsourced and offshored. Again, we felt this was a community project where we're putting in a new 911 center on West Madison Street. Can't we participate in the community and, and collaborate with the community to build the digital base maps? I went to the mayor's office and I said, can we partner with the Chicago Public Schools? They said, yes, Whitney Young. So we took part of our operation, put it in Whitney Young, created the first chance initiative, which was a student's first chance to get a job working in a professional services firm, primarily an IT services firm. So we hired juniors and seniors from Whitney Young. They were um, all minorities, half girls, half boys. Two were partially or fully deaf. And they cranked, I mean, they produced the digital maps in a year and a half for the city of Chicago. And they learned a lot. They learned that having a first chance to have a job was an opportunity for them to see a, a path to a successful future, right. perhaps in tech services, maybe in engineering. Some went into architecture, some went into chemistry. They, they went their own different direction, but they saw that they can be successful. Whether they were black or brown or even had a disability, they could be successful in this industry by getting a first chance. That's incredible. And so more of that can help solve this statistic we just talked about before with the lack of diversity in uh, the degrees, even people coming out with degrees. So where the pipeline even starts, uh, is it still going on or are there other things like it that it's evolved into again, more of these things that people are just not aware of that they should be aware of. So following my father's model of bringing on, you know, students every year, we bring students on every year and give them that first chance. A lot of them is a second chance and um, allowing people to maybe find tech services as a career, um, as a career change, right? I had a career change. I thought I was gonna be an engineer my whole life, but I'm not. I went on to be an IT services executive and um, I was fortunate enough to have the ability to pivot and move into a different direction. And we provide those opportunities for people to do that. I think that again, partnering with the other organizations in Chicago that are interested in these types of endeavors, including the Apprentice Network, provides people the opportunity to participate in these programs. Yeah. So you're not retired. You don't have all the time in the world anymore. You're also growing a business, but you are giving back so much. I mean, you mentioned earlier that you're on the board of the Chicago History Museum, but you're supporting so many charities and initiatives. I have just a few of them here, the Lake Forest Academy, Mercy Home for Boys and Girls, the University of Chicago Graham School. Shout out to our good friend, Seth Green. I'm so excited he's there. University of Chicago Booth School of Business Executive Education, the CU Boulder College of Engineering and Applied Science. You're mentoring small, diverse business owners. I mean, there is not enough time to do all of this. And so how are you, how do you decide? How do you, what is your, your calculus? Or do you have a schematic that you use that you figure out when and where you can give time to these things? Or do you try to just spread it around as much as you can? Are there certain ones that you lean in really heavily to? As a company, we choose um, charitable organizations every year as a group. And a number of the organizations that we choose have some deep meaning for our colleagues. So there may be one of our colleagues who has a family member that's suffering from a disease and it's, it's impactful for them. We'll support that charity mm -hmm. as a company. And we vote on that every year. And we don't retire out those charities. We actually keep them going over time. So we take on new ones um, every year. For me personally, it's those things that I really identify with personally that I, I allocate my time to. So whether it's the history of Chicago and being affiliated with that, the, the great boarding school that I went to, like Forest Academy, uh, Mercy Home for Boys and Girls, which for um, over two decades we've been involved with in um, supporting the organization financially, mentoring students out of that organization that live there and um, giving them a chance. Those are the types of things that I personally uh, par 
participate in. And mm -hmm. it's, again, I think it's in alignment with our culture and what we've done with the company. You also received the National Latino Education Institute 2021 Founders Award. Um, can you just speak just a little bit more about the Latinx community in particular? Because I think a lot of times when we talk about these things and we talk about neighborhoods like Inglewood, people think, you know, African-American communities, but there's also the Latinx communities that you're also quite involved in. Um, just generally, any final words for how business leaders in Chicago can be helping to bolster underrepresented communities in, in technology, but just in business generally too. The diversity in Chicago is stunning. And we have people of different colors, of different races, from different countries and um, cultures. And there are parts of every one of these communities that require investment in our perspective and, and an opportunity. So the Latinx is certainly falls in that category where there's um, a need for opportunity to, to get a chance to have a seat at the table. And so we have a very broad view of inclusion and, um, and what it means to offer opportunities to people to participate in our company. So what people love about our podcast is that they get to know Chicago's leading CEOs on a personal level too, just hearing more about their story and who they are as people. And one of the fun things we like to do on the end is this rapid round um, of quick fire questions. Are you up for it? I'm up for the rapid round. Okay. We'll do it. Don't overthink it. We'll just go really quick. Morning person or night owl? Morning person. Chicago Cubs or White Sox? Cubs. Deep dish or thin crust? Thin crust. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Paper book or ebook? Harvard Business Review. <laughs> I have mine right here. I can't get through books. I got through Dave Grohl's book. That's the only book I've been able to get through in the last 10 years. Oh, he's great. Um, have you been following that uh, young uh, British drummer girl? Um, do you know who I'm talking about? No, but there's there are some exceptional young drummers out there that... Yeah. Um, that are just tremendously talented. And, and once these rock stars see videos of these kids, they're yeah. blown away. <laughs> she's this young black girl in in England. I don't know if she's in London. Um, phenomenal. And David Grohl discovered her and now they've done some sessions together and I'll send it to you. She's just so impressive. I, like You don't understand how this is even coming out of her body. Like She's so little and um, really cool. Yeah. I'll send it to you. Something that technology made obsolete that you miss. Live meetings. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the app on your phone that you can't live without. Outlook. Your favorite emoji. The birthday cake. Your favorite <laughs> Chicago attraction. Chicago History Museum. Of course. Beach or mountains. Absolutely the beach. It's next to a golf course. <laughs> and what did you learn about yourself during COVID? I learned that I wasn't, even though I'm present for my colleagues, I learned that I can be ever present for them now through these technology platforms um, that exist today, like Zoom and others. So, um, and, and I learned that our, our culture is strong and is resilient and can um, help us work through these COVID challenging times. Yeah. I mean, thinking about people on the West Coast in Chicago and these town halls that you're doing, I mean, people can now see each other and um, they have access to you in a way that maybe before this, your West Coast colleagues wouldn't necessarily have had, you know, feeling like they can really, I mean, it's digitally face to face, but still that they can get this time with you. I mean, the technology was there before. We just didn't, you know, we didn't really use it. I don't know. WebEx was, I remember making this joke a few years ago, like, seriously, we're going to, we're going to go live on Mars, but we still can't figure out video conferencing. And then suddenly we figured out video conferencing and poor WebEx is like the Blackberry of this whole thing. You know, like they were around forever and just never quite figured it out. And now they're just never quite figured it out. Well, a lot of these platforms are, are evolving and getting a lot stronger and functionally uh, better. But yeah. um, all of the technology that we have from our Blackberries to our phones to our droids, they allow us to work from anywhere, but they also allow us to work all the time. And so yes. having balance is something that we try to emphasize with our colleagues as if they need to take time. 
time yes. for themselves to stay well and stay healthy. Well, and we had Ariana Huffington and she talked so profoundly about the things that you can do to create little rituals, to create separation between your work day and evening, right? So even if you are working long hours and you feel like it's always there, um, create that space so that you're not going from checking email to trying to go to sleep, right? Do something where you're creating a clear delineation, like work day is over. I'm now going to transition into this time of relaxation and rest. And and too many of us don't do that, right? Final check on email or something. And that's, that's not helping anyone. It, it's really vital. And I would offer that this past 18 months has been very strenuous for people, very challenging emotionally, mentally, financially, physically, and that wellness in all of those regards really matters. And I hope that all of us will be able to support our colleagues in that regard, because I think also for the working moms, it's been a huge amount of pressure. We need to be understanding of that, of our colleagues and that they have lives and they have realities. And yep. um, we've tried it hard to do that. Yep. Yeah, we can't unsee what we saw, right? So now we know. And so now it's time to do things differently. Thank you so much for being here with us. You really are one of the most extraordinary business leaders we have in Chicago. I'm so glad that people have gotten a chance to get to know you a little bit more personally, but also your legacy and everything that you're doing. And also some of the really important things happening in tech in Chicago that they may not be aware of. I love that you've added the name presence to your company. I think you are present for everyone. You're showing up in all of the right ways. And I hope that you don't retire again and you keep going for a long time and stay in Chicago and that we uh, benefit from all of your expertise and leadership. I'm sure you're going to leave this company at some point, but just not go away completely because we really need you. That's all for today's episode of the Executives Exchange, sponsored by Shure Incorporated. Thanks for listening. If you have Chicago speakers you think we should cover, please send us an email at media at executivesclub.org. The Executives Exchange is a production of the Executives Club of Chicago. Audio equipment for the Executives Club podcast is provided by Shure. Whether you're making a point or making history, Shure lets you sound extraordinary. It's written by me, Margaret Mueller, produced by Eva Pinar. Research and support from the staff of the Executives Club of Chicago. We appreciate you subscribing and reviewing the show from wherever you listen. Feel free to follow the club on Twitter at Exec Club and on LinkedIn. If you have more questions or are interested about becoming a member at the Executives Club of Chicago, check us out on the web at executivesclub.org. See you next time.